This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely humbled from the deepest part of my heart. I want to thank everybody who's been giving us support. It fills my soul every time I hear a little comment, a direct message on Instagram or on Facebook, letting me know how much you've loved the show. So make sure to go to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club to get fresh tips and inside information on the investor mindset. And I want to thank everyone who's been dropping us a review or hitting that subscribe button and helping us reach even more people. So I want to shout out this review from Husker Husker. Thank you. Great start to the morning. Informative and energetic. Thanks for the mindset tips. Love it. Thank you for the review. It helps us reach even more people. And if you guys haven't, make sure you go and drop one today. Let's jump into the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Show. I am really excited. A friend and mentor, Becca Shea, is here with us live. Hey. How's it going, Becca? Good. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Becca is an incredible investor, mother, and amazing house flipper and wholesaler. She did over 50 deals last year. She's been doing this for, what is it, five years? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, five years. Been doing it for five years. She started her career in the Navy. She got a master's in mechanical engineering, which means she's really smart. (laughs) And after graduating, she found out that she was disqualified from her dream of becoming a pilot, but that didn't stop her. Uh, She worked as an executive for a while and then escaped the corporate world and pivoted to real estate to start living a better life every day. And uh, really excited. Thanks for being here, Becca. Thanks for having me. All right, let's do this. I am excited. So obviously you've hit a lot of success. And even though at times I'm sure you think to yourself, I I don't feel like it. We all have those (laughs) feelings. Um, But if we take a look back, back to your childhood, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Um, I mean, definitely my dad was a huge influence. He was a military, he's a a navigator. So he flew in the Navy. He was a mechanical engineer. So that definitely shaped the initial arc of my career. Um, always been handy, grew up doing projects and stuff. And I married, it's funny because you say we, you marry people like your parents. I realized that my husband is very much like my dad, like the quiet, strong, you know, he's my rock. He gets things done, puts up with my craziness. Um, and then, you know, I've always just been blessed with, uh, the attitude that I can accomplish anything. And, and, (laughs) I'm and kind of where do you think that came from? Because I don't feel like everyone has the fortune of of believing that from a young age. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, Brene Brown does this phenomenal TED Talk on like building confidence in children. And um, I think she nailed it. So look that up. But I was the youngest of four mm-hmm. girls. And now that I'm a parent, I kind of realized like first kids they get their parents' neurotic tendencies because, you know, we're not given a handbook with parenting and we kind of freaking out and we're like, just don't die, you know, like, don't, don't do anything, mm. like wrap them in a bubble. And then by the time you have more kids, you get, you start realizing what you can mm. worry less about, 
which I think allows younger children to, to develop more confidence because they're allowed more freedom. So unfortunately, I think a lot of it's birth yeah, order. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, the oldest of four kids. So I, uh, I happened to be fortunate enough that my parents cut their teeth on me and figured out how to be parents so that the rest of them could, uh, could yeah. go. So yeah. that's great. Well, I've also noticed that the oldest kids too tend to be very self-assured because you know, they've learned like what the rules are and how to play the game, mm-hmm. right? And in some ways they set the rules so. and set the standard for, for the rest yeah. of them or got in enough trouble so that they, the rest of the kids all looked good. So yeah. when you, from an investing standpoint, you've been investing for five years. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. why you ended up leaving uh, kind of the corporate world and what you were doing before. Okay. So I was in the Navy for just about four years. And when I got out, I decided to use my mechanical engineering degree, which you kind taxpayers paid for. Thank you. And I went into energy efficiency work for a company that worked for federal facilities, which was awesome. I love the job. But unfortunately, I had to go to wherever the federal facilities were. So it's a lot of travel going to like VA hospitals and military bases. Um, And I was, I did that for six or seven years. And then I was pregnant with my third daughter and I was traveling a lot. Like that was just the name of the game. I was a senior engineer moving up in the, in the project side. In order to do my job well, I had to travel and I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. Um, so when I was on maternity leave, I said, let's flip a house. And that began this craziness. Well, I guess you, you, you kind of did it in the safe way, it sounds like. You're on maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm a cautious person. One little tiny step. <laughs> And jumped out there and did it. Uh, what was going through your head when you decided to take that leap? And why not just enjoy the vacation? Um, it was kind of number one. My husband and I had always talked about flipping a house, and I was like, "Dude, we both work full time jobs. We got two now, three kids. Like that's another full time job. And flipping a house is like a third full time job. I'm not into that." Um, but it reached a point where I was traveling so much that I was starting to think about my other options and. It seemed pretty safe. The reason why I did it then was not necessarily because I had the um, cushion of maternity leave. It was because in order to go on maternity leave, I had to wrap up all my projects that I was working on. And so it was a very natural break of not feeling like I was going to abandon anybody or let them down. So Makes sense. You were able to leave without... You were able to take a risk without yeah, right. screwing anything up. And I left on very good terms. So I was like, if this sucks, I'll just go back. Like, they'll take me back. <laughs> That's good. It's kind of like you hedged your bets yeah. and you made sure that you always had that backup plan and that you could always go back. Do you no, think you ever they will? they keep trying to get me back. <laughs> yeah. You've been ruined for, for working in a normal job. Once you be, go down that entrepreneurship route, I think it's kind of hard to go back. So tell us a little bit about what your primary focus is on the investing front. So right now, I see my business has evolved from just rehabbing, and then it became rehabbing and wholesaling, and then we added in some rentals um, over the past five or six years. Right now, I'm really focused on the wholesaling team, the sales and marketing side of things. That's been probably 80% of my brain power um, because I've been really fortunate. Last About a year and a half ago, I started a construction crew that I handpicked mm-hmm. from people who had worked with me like, okay, you're awesome and you're awesome and you're awesome. <laughs> and we brought them all together and formed this crew such that they can, I can pretty much put them on a rehab and they've done so many now that it requires very little brain power from me. And they're awesome. 
So I'm allowed to only spend 10% of my brain on whatever rehab's happening so I can focus on growing this marketing and sales team. That's incredible. I don't know that many flippers who can say that the part of the process that is on autopilot is the contractors. I know, I'm so lucky. So why do you think it worked out? to take on your own crew? Because I know from personal conversations that a lot of people told you, oh, yeah. don't do that. That's the worst idea. Yeah, I don't remember who it was who was like, that was the stupidest idea you ever did. I'm like, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, uh, just good people. I mean, you hear this in business all the time, regardless of what industry you're in, find the right people and life gets easier. I'm, these guys are great. And I really, one of the things that I've learned from sales is that the way to empower people is to let them get to their dreams. Like we always think employees just need money. That's what they want. But that's really not the motivator for a lot of people. They want to be the subject matter expert. They want to be respected. They want to have growth opportunity. Um, you know, and they want to feel empowered. And so I think what it works because I do respect them. And there is, a, there is career growth potential for them. And hopefully there's pay growth potential. So, yeah. Yeah, you really have to be able to empower other people to succeed and feel like that they're capable of doing the job that you respect them. Otherwise, they're going to just go and find somebody yeah. else who will. So what drew you into investing in the first place? The flipping, I still love, even though I have a wholesaling team going, um, and I find sales enjoyable in like a, a theoretical way. Like I like this, almost the science of it, because I'm a scientist at heart. Um, construction, the rehabs are what makes my heart happy. That's the thing I do mm-hmm. when I'm having a bad day. I go in my rehabs and I'm like, look what we're building. Um, and I love marketing. So like marketing and construction, I love sales I deal with. Well, and you're really good at marketing. I know you've helped my ah, yeah. team improve and understand how to improve what we're doing on a regular basis from the marketing standpoint. But on the sales front, I know you've had some struggles there. Kind of tell us a little bit about what you've gone through going out and trying to find really good salespeople because in our business, it's a sales and marketing driven operation. And without good salespeople, it's pretty hard to succeed. So how have you been uh, facing that challenge? um, So I would say, I think it was a major mental shift. When I I told you at the beginning that I have a construction company and a wholesale... uh, sales and marketing company, that was a huge mental differentiator for me. Like, whoa, that, mm-hmm. those, those really are, like we're not investors. We're either a marketing and sales company mm-hmm. or, we're, or we're a construction company. Unless you're in rentals, I think those are true mm-hmm. investors. So construction I got, uh, sales, I never was a sales professional. This is my biggest struggle, almost crushed my business mm-hmm. last year. And um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll dig into that, right? Mindset. We must. I kept thinking I could hire for potential and I could train them. Um, and I think at the end of the day, if we're all honest, if our company fails or succeeds, it's because of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kept trying. And I think maybe if I had gotten that unicorn who just naturally gets it and you know makes magic happen, mm-hmm. it would have been fine. But I couldn't provide the right training and support to people because I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I just, I kind of churned through people. Um, and then the other thing, the realization I came to recently was that I also wasn't pouring enough of myself into them as far as training. There's so much mm-hmm. more in my head that I think I've communicated that I have not communicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only way to communicate it is to sit down and have a sales meeting and a role play and to say, what objections did you run up against in your appointment yesterday? oh, let's talk through those. Or, hey, I'm coming along with you on your appointment today. Even though I have 9,000 other things that I need to be doing in zero time, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend three hours with you. 
So I feel like that is so hard because so from the beginning, I bought into this idea that I could build a business, a business meaning I'm going to be the owner and, and operator and then eventually be able to step out. And I think it is quite possible. I've seen some examples of it working, but it's way harder than people think. And so when I jumped in, I know I ran into the challenge of hiring people and thinking, oh, I'm just going to put it on them. They got it. They're going to like work really hard on it. And then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And then they failed. Yep. And they failed because of me as a manager. And so in what ways do you think that you've changed the way that you manage salespeople now? Number one, I hired a completely different animal. Starting last October, brought in one of our friends who's really great at sales, has a background in recruiting and sales, and said like, dude, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and he taught me how to interview and taught me what a great candidate looks like for me, for someone who needs someone who can hit the ground running. They have to have a proven track record in whatever that is, right? If you're hiring, um, so, and I've kind of applied this to every position. So like my admin, when I hired my admin, I hired someone who has a, had a background as a paralegal because I needed someone who was going to review our contracts and make sure that they're spot on and keep all these crazy salespeople in check. <laughs> and so like the salespeople, I was like, okay, how many years of experience do you have? My two new salespeople have 25 and 30 years sales experience. And wow. so this was the great interview question I got. How many other people held your role at your last job? Like I was director of sales, right? How many other directors of sales were there in your company? There were seven. How did you stack up against those seven? Uh, I was one or two. Mm. Okay, that's the person you want to talk to. The person who's like, well, I was like four or five. Not your person. <laughs> average, yeah. average. And in, in, in a company that's as small as ours, even though they're, it's a big company in our eyes, you know, with yeah. three, five, 10, 15 people, you really need the best of the best. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to sink. Yeah. And then things, asking things like, okay, you told me you're a top performer, but can you document that? Like, oh, yeah, I was in President's Circle. I won the trip to Aruba and the trip to Las Vegas. And I can, and can you prove that to me? So I had one person come in and they were like, I want all these things. I'm like, that's great. Send me some pictures of those awards. Because if you won those awards and you're so proud of them, you're not going to just have tossed them. And he was like, oh, I think I lost them in my move. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one of uh, my favorite questions when asking, you know, what did you make in your last year of employment? Yeah. Exactly amount. And then I, I you know, I, I ask, well, what's the verifiable yeah. number? And for every, you know, I've, I've actually verified it a few times, but there are people who are really killing it and hitting numbers that are beyond like what you expect. They want to show you that W2. They're like, I got it right here. I hit 300,000 last year and I'm going to do it for you too. Yep. Yeah. So we're still in like fledgling stage with this higher caliber, um, like sales talent that, you know, has the professional background. And I don't want to like disparage anybody who worked for me previously because I feel like they all had the potential. I just wasn't the right person to unlock it. I think it's, I think it's really important to underline here for everyone, uh, all of our listeners, and for ourselves is that it's okay that people don't succeed in a role and it's okay to fire them mm-hmm. and uh, it's okay to let them go flourish somewhere else because there's a, there's a place where they're going to do really well or maybe they needed this push to go out and, and take that leap. Uh, I know that one of the hardest things is being a business owner is letting people go and you really care about mm-hmm. them as a person. But oftentimes when somebody ends up leaving and they weren't the right fit, it's the biggest relief. Have you ever felt that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're happier out where they are. 
Um, I mean, that's not always the case, but usually if you give them a little bit of time to get on their feet, they end up in a better position. But in the long run, it's better. I know there's a manager that I had, a company I moved to California for, I ended up really not liking it. And I decided inside after about three or four months that I was either going to make it the job that I moved there for, or I'm going to get fired on the way out because I couldn't leave. They were paying me too much money. I doubled my salary every time I took a new role. Uh And I made that decision. And thank God Uh they fired me. When I got called into the office, when when I I got called into the office and they let me go, it was, you know, a little bit emotional on one hand, but it was such a You did the classic breakup. I don't want to break up with you, so I'm just gonna be such a bad boyfriend that you break up with me. Uh, I guess maybe I am a man a little bit. Uh, I, I hope I haven't done that to too many other people. But thank God, because in that in that discussion, they said, hey, you're going to be very successful. Mm-hmm. You should go start your own company. And two and a half years later, you know, I'm sitting here talking with you after yes. doing 150 awesome. deals in real estate. Right. So. And it was the best fit for both people. And probably while you were there, you gave 110%. And it was like, you know, it was a good fit while it was a good fit. And then when it wasn't anymore, okay, let's move on. Exactly. I was delivering, but I just, culturally, I could tell it wasn't a good fit and I was trying to make it the way I wanted, Mm -hmm. which is what entrepreneurs do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why it was better for me to end up heading out that direction. So you've ran into some challenges on the sales front. You obviously are really good at marketing. What do you think's next for you and your business? Yeah, I, so right now I, I love like, the potential of the sales team I have and I, it's starting to come to fruition, which then engenders its whole set of other challenges like, oh crap, what am I going to do with all these amazing contracts? Um, <laughs> good problem to have. Uh, so I want to get them set up and rocking and rolling on their own. I chose the experienced salespeople I did because of the potential for them to move up in the management and just between the two of them, you know, one I would like to be my COO and the other one to be the sales manager and grow the sales team. They have the potential to, like the construction team, require very minimal amount of my brain power. And last year, you know, we're a marketing company. Last year we brought on a uh, marketing assistant, Marie, and she's my director of marketing and she's awesome. And that's the other thing. When you hire someone who is better at the thing than you are, I remember the first meeting I was sitting in with Marie, like we were sitting around, call number had dropped, appointment number had dropped. And so every day we track, I mean, every week we meet, we track like how many calls do we get? How many appointments do we set? How many appointments got attended? And I remember seeing the decline like two or three weeks in a row and I'm like stressing out inside, right? Like, what are we going to do? And I look over her and she's like, I'm so stressed out, but here's what I think. We're going to do this, this, isn't it? Like, she was. She cared more about the problem than I did, and I cared a lot. So, Amen. Amen. Isn't that a good feeling yeah. when you bring somebody on? I have that feeling right now. I have some folks that just joined our team, yeah. and it's incredible when they get it. Right. So it sounds like you're gonna you're gonna keep focusing on kind of handing off more to Marie. Yep. So, well, Marie and I, I really want to start going the route of helping. One thing the entrepreneurs that I've noticed really struggle with, um, like in the investing groups that we're in, entrepreneurs tend to be really good at ideas. Uh, and then the feedback loops and the implementation is sometimes where it struggles. But especially in wholesaling, we spend a lot of money on a contract. You know, if you're lucky, you're spending 1500 or 2000 bucks per contract. Some market people are spending like five or six grand per contract. If you can shave off even 25% of that, um, your profit margins will skyrocket. And so that's the thing we've really worked on in our company 
And that's what I want to help other people do. Set up their metrics, like go into their systems. Are you tracking your calls? How many calls did you get per channel? How many appointments did you set? How many contracts did you get? How good were those contracts? Like how much profit did you make? (laughs) So that's our next goal is to set up kind of a marketing consulting thing, which that I think would be super fun because I'm a nerd. I love I love it because you've been able to help us turn yeah. around some of our numbers. You're the perfect because frankly, person to talk to. <laughs> frankly, I'm a I'm a I'm an entrepreneur. I like the <laughs> yeah. ideas. I don't like the execution. And thank goodness I've been able to bring on some amazing operators that are really helping our business soar in 2019 this year. Um, and so thank you for all the help on that front. Yeah, but so you mentioned something we'll, earlier. and I, Before we go further, has it been useful? Because Marie did help you. So basically what Marie did for you, which is come in, spend a couple hours digging through your numbers. Have, has it moved the needle for you? It's absolutely moved the needle. We're, our cost per contract has gone down by more than 50%. And largely in, la- yeah, largely in part, Largely in part by cutting some marketing channels that were not working for yeah. us. And uh, the other thing that it's done is it's given us some, she's asked the questions that, that we weren't asking, which helped us get to the answers that we didn't know we needed to know. Yes. So now I have people on my team who are reporting that stuff to us on a regular basis. And frankly, I'm trying to get more of Marie's time. So. <laughs> I know. I wish there were, can I duplicate her? So, but that's the idea, yeah. like bring on an assistant for her and a couple other people. And like, I really foresee it being in the beginning it's an intensive setup to get you running so that you know what to look for. And then you're like, hey, this channel sucks. Let's stop doing it. <laughs> I love it. And I love it because I think that when you're really, really good at something and you're passionate about it, you can really make a big difference for yourself. But even more so, you can contribute and help others. And yeah. you know, that's one of the things I'm trying to do. And on that front, I think you should definitely go down that path. You mentioned something earlier that I really wanted to come back to. Okay. And you said the words that, Sales crushed my business last year. Mm. Like, what, what were you going through? So we ended 20, what year are we in? 19, 18, 17. The last quarter of 2017 was like a gangbuster quarter. Um, it was awesome. And so 20, we went into 2018 like guns blazing. It's going to be awesome. We had one sales rep and I was like, I, I recognize the weakness, right? If you only have one person that you're relying on in any role, um, it's tough. So we immediately were like, well, let's scale to two people. Let's scale up our marketing. You know, marketing is our biggest expense um, to support another rep. And then um, for whatever reason, the first rep was st- stopped being able to lock up contracts. And then the new reps that I hired, just none of them clicked. So we ended up going through like five or six sales reps last year. And, you know, you hire someone and you got to give them a good two, three months to see if they get their feet under them. And if they don't get their feet under them, well, you've just, you know, spent three months of marketing without the returns on it. Plus I pay people when I'm training them because you want them to not, you know, everybody needs to eat. So it was just like this. We did 50 deals, but we made less money than the previous year because we spent so much more on marketing and people. So... You know, I know like the that. feeling. And so what was going on in your head when that happened? Because I mean, it sounds like you felt like you failed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's funny because I, I actually kept like a video journal. I did little, someday I'll release it to the world because I wanted to capture this. There's so much talk in entrepreneurship about the wins and the like, and then I crushed it and I scaled and it was amazing. And people don't share when they're in the downtime. And there's a very good reason for that. Could because there's a perception that you need to maintain maybe just psychologically for your ego, 
there's also a, uh, a perception that you have to maintain for your business because mm-hmm. the success of your business sometimes depends on people thinking your business is successful. Um, and then there's just kind of the personal side of it. So I kept this video journal so that I got the real shot of it. But I kept thinking I was right around the corner. Like this hire was going to be the hire. This guy was going to be the guy. And none of them were terrible. Everybody got contracts, but they weren't like some people you hear. They're like, they got four contracts on their first six appointments. You know, it was like a contract for every 12 appointments. So I just kept thinking, I remember thinking in June, like, yes, we've turned it around. It's going to be awesome. And then that didn't materialize. And then in like August, I remember thinking, yes, we've turned it around. It's going to be awesome. And then that didn't materialize. And finally in October, I was like, if this doesn't turn around, I'm done. <laughs> like, I quit. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just going to do my rehabs. I'm going to turn off my marketing and I'm just going to do something else, right? Like maybe I would start that marketing consulting company or go do something that's not sales. But then I, I talked to Jeremiah and I, and he helped me and he was like, well, let me help you hire someone. And I realized after talking to him that um, I was doing it wrong. Like I wasn't hiring for the right talent. I thought I was, I just didn't know. So, But what were you actually going through at that moment when you said, you were doing. You had done fifty deals that year. In everyone else's eyes, you're succeeding. In everyone else's eyes, you've grown to be this really impressive yeah. woman entrepreneur, yeah. house flipper, going out there kicking butt. But no, inside, like it sounds like you didn't feel in like my that. Ba- on my balance sheet, I was a failure. And to me, I'm a numbers person. So I had started mm-hmm. the year with this goal mm-hmm. of being over thirty percent profitable, right, net to gross. So if I made a hundred thousand, I wanted mm-hmm. to keep thirty. Um, and so to me, that was the measure of success, not how many people I had, not how many deals I have, how efficient of a machine have I built? Mm -hmm. And we were essentially like breaking even or Mm -hmm. losing money. Like it was on, on paper, quantifiably, I was not successful. Yeah. You were, you were failing at, at, at the business side of business, right? The business isn't profitable. Then it is a, then it is a failure. Absolutely. Um, but what made you not give up? I do not know the answer to that. <laughs> I, I just kept thinking, you know what I kept thinking was, what if next week is the week things get better and I quit right before it turned? And there's no way I ever would have known that. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, the other thing was pride. And I think I said this in our meeting was like, I do not fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm going to figure this out mm-hmm. um, or turn this into a success somehow. And it's going to be epic. And I think that was just it. But I got to tell you, there were days when I, I had this like very vivid moment of, I think it was end of the summer or something. No, it must have been fall. I was eating butternut squash soup and my husband was upstairs. I actually went downstairs because I hit such a low point that I knew I was going to start crying. I don't know what had happened. So I'm making my lunch. I'm on my lunch break. Take my butternut squash soup. I hide downstairs and I'm eating my soup just sobbing just sobbing. And my husband comes and he finds me because he's like, why did, why'd you take your soup downstairs? <laughs> and he comes down and I'm sobbing. He's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm a failure. Like I, and this is a little bit of ego, but like, I've never failed before. Hmm. <laughs> and he was like, uh, it's okay. <laughs> like gentle pats yeah. on the back. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's tough yeah. to go through something like that when you've been on such a growth trajectory mm-hmm. and what, what had happened for you was that you had set that expectation for yourself that you were going to reach 30% yeah. profitability yeah. and 30% in this business is frankly really high. Yeah. 
from a wholesaling, if you're talking about just wholesaling. So you'd set a high goal. Your goal was efficiency mm-hmm. over growth and you didn't end up making it. And it sounded like the only thing that really kept you going was hope, was yeah. hope that maybe one more day from now <laughs> yeah. things were going to turn around. It also sounds like it was a support network. You talk to somebody else and they talk to you off the ledge. Mm, yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. And I don't, I didn't share with a lot of people where I was at, uh, but I did share with a select few, maybe three people really knew. Um, and they were all like, you know, that's the great thing about making friends. And, and I think that's why you need to have a network of other investors and other entrepreneurs, because no one else can understand how you can be sobbing into your soup one day and two months later being like, this is awesome. You know? I love this job. Nobody, nobody gets the manicness of yeah. entrepreneurship <laughs> yeah. more than entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you're right. Well, you nailed it. I'm glad that you persisted because you. when we talked, I said, you know, if you're really passionate about something, I think you should go after that. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with deciding that now's the time to pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like you're down a path that's going to end up getting you exactly what you want. And yeah. you can have both. Yeah, I think so. And I, I was just had a conversation today about what the future holds, like what the next 12 months looks like. And it's going to be slightly different than a traditional wholesaling company. Um, but it, it'll build off of everything I've learned. And I think that's the key, right? Taking what you've learned and making sure that even your failures aren't failures, using them in some other productive way. I think I want to un- underline something for all the listeners and for everybody who's who's soaking this in right now, is that success is challenging. Yeah. And even when you hit success, things happen that want to knock you back down. Mm-hmm. Like Becca lost her strong mindset. She mm-hmm. lost the confidence that things were going to work out and that they were going to go uh, you know, up and to the right, that things were going to keep growing and that things could get back on track. But she persisted. And because of that, we're sitting here talking about investing yeah. and she's still out there kicking butt. Yeah. We got in, in the past 10 days, I think we've gotten seven, eight contracts. So, you know, there were lessons that I had to learn. I remember when I started thinking, um, there's a podcast, how I built this. And it's all these like super mm. successful entrepreneurs, like Starbucks CEO and, you know, big, big people. And they talk about their 30 year arc of their career. And inevitably they all have a dark period that in this, the series of the podcast, it's like a two minute mention, right? It's a 45 minute podcast. They spend like one or two minutes on the dark period. But if you think about it time-wise, that was probably years in their life, mm-hmm. two years, three years of just the crap that they had to go through. And so seeing other inspirational people like that and knowing it's part of the journey, like I knew there was probably going to be a little bit of a crucible somewhere in here. I prayed and hoped that I wouldn't have to go through it. But really the only way you get to be a very successful person is by surviving those challenging times and learning. And you grow yeah. the most. You, you grow the most when you're, when you're being stretched, yeah. when you're hurting, when there's that pain, when there's that feeling of not knowing whether something's going to work out and you're able to push through that mm-hmm. to the next level. And it sounds like you're able to do that. So Becca... A uh, couple more questions here for you. What are some of your keystone habits? What are some of the things that you do every day that help you live your best life? Um, I am Catholic and I'm a churchgoer. And going to church every Sunday is really beneficial to me. Having that hour 
to step outside of my business, which is all between my business and my kids, those are all consuming. And they're very like pinpoint narrow focus. Going to church to me pulls me back out. Same thing with I'll do meditation apps on Calm, usually just to shut my brain off at night. I'm sure you don't have that problem, right? <laughs> oh, you know I have that problem. I meditate every day and if I don't, yeah. it gets, uh, gets hairy. It's noisy in here, right? Um, and then exercise for me is something I haven't been doing enough of lately, but I definitely notice a direct correlation to my mm-hmm. mental health, to my physical health. Do you ever feel that feeling when you don't exercise, Becca? Like if you're, I know you're a runner and we, we both share that in common. And when you don't have enough of that, when you're not doing enough, it's like your whole body starts to react. Not even only in your mind, but things start tightening up mm-hmm. and you start I get headaches. getting uncomfortable. I get headaches See? when I don't exercise. It's weird. It's, that's your body's signal saying, hey, I don't like this. Yeah. Go be active. Endorphins. So. so we are at the final questions in the growth rapid fire section uh, where your answers don't have to be rapid, but I'm going to fire these off. Okay. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're excited about right now? Tribe of Mentors. What makes you excited about Tribe of Mentors? Uh, it's a short collection of essays, like four to five pages. So it makes my ADD happy. Um, I can sit down and read a a whole little essay. He asks the same like 11 questions to a bunch of very successful people in all different walks of life. So my, my life is like tunnel vision on real estate right now, but he has like bodybuilders and writers, people who are like, these are his top 100 people he ever wanted to talk Mm -hmm. to. And so it starts with these little bio intros of why you should care about what this person has to say which inevitably leads me down these rabbit holes of like TED Talks. <laughs> uh, and then just really fascinating responses. I've read the whole thing all the way through. I keep it on my couch table and I'll just pick it up and flip to a page and read whatever essay I come to. And it always speaks to whatever struggle I'm going through. I love Tim Ferriss. He's one of my favorite authors and uh, podcasters. Definitely an inspiration to go out and do something like this. I've got all of his books on the on the shelf behind me. Oh, so now, now I'm reading through the stoicism uh, letters that he put up on his blog. So, that's re- yeah, he's that's awesome. awesome. Letters, uh, I think that's uh, letters to Seneca. Yes. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. So purpose, why do you do what you do? Uh, it's fun. I'm a junkie for maybe not adrenaline, but like building things and taking risks. And I like helping people and I like making things pretty. Yeah. Sounds like some good good reasons to uh, <laughs> to live a good life. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some mentors and how did they influence your career? Oh, you should have prepped me for this one. Um, <laughs> let's see. Brian Buffini has been a really strong presence. I actually went out to his um, conference last year. Um, Bill Allen brought me on this journey. I had started investing before him, but he introduced me to seven-figure flipping, which I feel like ignited my uh, investing dreams. Um, and then just a bunch of people who I've met mm-hmm. from within that group, you know, Terry Berger, Jeremiah Johnson, Adam Ray, you, like mm-hmm. just all these people. I think we all have our different strengths. And so when I get to a point, mm-hmm. um, I like that you guys are relatable to me, right? Like we kind of started together. And so having that peer group that I can say, like, I'm struggling with sales, I'm going to call mm-hmm. Jeremiah. I'm struggling with the numbers, I'm going to call mm-hmm. Bill. Like, knowing what your strength is and I'm going to call you and we're going to talk through. I'm struggling with systems. I'm going to call Steven, you know, like that's awesome. Let's get this done. So finally, what drives you to live your best life every day? Being in control of my destiny, you know, good or bad. 
and sharing that journey with my family, like whether they like it or not, they're very much a part of this journey, whether I'm taking them along to appointments or um, whatever, but it allows me flexibility with them too. So I look at, you know, my, my husband is my best friend and my support and he's doing a startup as well in rocket stuff (laughs) and being on this journey together. I know that regardless of what happens today, 20 years from now, we will look back at this time in our lives and think how blessed we were to have the opportunity to do this. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I love that. I have a bonus question for you because you mentioned your husband. You guys are obviously quite the couple. What would you share with, uh, with an earlier version of yourself or somebody who's going to go down the same path uh, towards marriage? Like, What does it take to stand the test of time? I think the number one thing is respect. If you, like marriage is about a relationship and love, but it's also a business relationship. So there are times when like, it is more of a business relationship than a passion. And there are times when it's more passionate than business. So those two things have to be there, right? You have to be attracted. You have to like this person, but at the end of the day, you have to respect them because they're going to do things that you don't necessarily agree with. I think of like parenting stuff, right? Like you might not agree with the way they parent, but if you respect them and know where they're coming from, you can accept that and be like, okay, you're not just a jerk. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much, Becca. It's been amazing. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? My company is called Laplace Transforms. It's a math joke back to my mechanical engineering days. So you can find us on Facebook's probably the best way to like stalk us and reach out. Um, And my actual like wholesaling website is sell your PA house. You can find Becca Shea on Facebook. We'll put some of the links to all of her things on the show notes page in the website. And again, thank you, Becca. Look forward to uh, hanging out next time. Thanks, Evan. This was super fun. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 